This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And on today's show, I have Brian Hargrove. And Brian and I had a very interesting conversation that touched on a number of different topics, some that we've spoken about before here on this podcast, but also some that we have never talked about before. And one topic in particular is the sort of underground network of, well, I guess we've talked about this before, but the underground network of ethnic leagues and how different cultures exist in like this subdivision of American soccer, not even a subdivision of American soccer because it's, it's not even on the radar for a lot of people. I've talked about it before with uh, the Croatian population and how we host multiple tournaments throughout the year. Um, But Brian's experience is with the Somali population and the way that he got into that in his area, which is in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, is a very, very interesting story. And we talked about that for quite some time. And I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. We also uh, we also talked about his uh, influences on coaching that came from basketball. We also talked about why he decided to walk away from coaching soccer at one point because of all the politics and the lack of the pathway and all kinds of other different things. And one of the funniest things that we talked about was how he first got a chance to watch Brian Clyburn coach, which is very similar to Brian Clyburn's own story of having to sneak in and watch Bielsa sessions and things like that. So uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting and funny part of the story. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Brian Hargrove. If you are interested in learning more about the programs and stuff that Brian and I talk about throughout the show, we talk a little bit about the 343 programs and how he first got introduced to it, which is probably similar to how you know about us. I'm talking about the famous uh, U11 video of the kids playing possession soccer. If you're interested in learning more about how that particular team was trained and how Brian has adopted uh, that mentality or that methodology into his own training sessions and things like that, you can check out everything at 343coaching.com. And there you will find the proven 343 methodology. You will find videos, you will find eBooks, you will find articles, you will find more podcasts like this. Uh, It's an amazing resource and it comes with a network of coaches, a nationwide network of coaches that are all going through the program at this very moment as well. So you can find all that information at 343coaching.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. I hope that you enjoy this chat with Brian Hargrove. What's up, John? Hey, what's going on, Brian? How are you? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. You're my uh, you're my last of five interviews today, so I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, putting in the work, man. Yeah, man. and it, it couldn't have uh, couldn't have happened on a on a better day, though. Well, I guess yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm excited for it. I wish I could be spending more time on Twitter 
looking at all the news, but uh, Alex, yeah. Alex signed with IX today, so that was cool. I saw that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so people are going to get a, a steady dose of uh, of Alex to IX uh, mentionings for <laughs> for a few weeks in these in these recordings. <laughs> it's going to be funny. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, so I'm stoked. Yeah. yeah, he definitely deserves it, man. He's been uh, just doing awesome. The E20 World Cup, love watching him play. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. it's crazy. I, I mean, I've, I've obviously, I, I've obviously been watching him for for quite a quite a number of years. But right. when he was when he was ten, eleven, twelve years old, he he was a phenomenal player. But he was nothing like he is today. And, and so back, um, you know, yeah, it, did he kind of go under the radar back then? Because I even remember watching like you know Brian's team when they went over to Barcelona and stuff like that, and. It's not that he, you know he just didn't stand out quite as much as some of the other players to me back then. Well, but. the the other players were standing out for different reasons, right? So like Uli looked right. and, and played a lot like Neymar. Even they even called him little Neymar, and and, and right. so obviously your attention you know yeah. goes to yeah. a player like that. And Efra playing up two three years at the, right. at, at a time that that uh, grasps your attention. Um, Misa at the at the time, little little kid mm-hmm. scoring a bunch of goals, mm-hmm. like not, not even mm-hmm. just scoring goals, but scoring yeah. you know, pretty fantastic goals that captures right. your attention, and and then just the overall style of play, it, you know, right. gets your attention, and and a player like Alex and what he offers still to this day is is very underappreciated and so at the time eight years ago (laughs) i i didn't have an appreciation for a lot of the things that alex offers um and it's not that his game has changed drastically he still does a lot of the same things but um it it wasn't something that i was i was tuned into at at that time and and i think a lot of people still aren't at this moment and um yeah, so it's 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 been a cool process watching watching him develop as a player, and then I've had the privilege to get to know him as, as a person, mm-hmm. and he's a great kid. So, you know, I I just I, I couldn't be more thrilled for him right now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. How did uh how did how did you initially find find like stuff like that? How how did you start watching <laughs> these guys? Because you're you're pretty in tune with with the trajectory i think of like alex uli efra the brian yeah yeah you know I'm, I'm a little bit more quiet i'm not really on twitter and all that stuff very well i'm not engaging on it at least um kind of <laughs> use it kind of kind of use it more as like a, a newspaper creeper but, um, a creeper i'm a creeper man yeah that's right <laughs> um but it was uh back in the day man it was the the video you know that 10 minute the one that went viral um that gary posted i think uh i was coaching with the west side timbers here in portland at the time and our doc sent it out to all the coaches and um so i watched that and just thought okay everything everyone's been saying is a load of bullshit basically about how why we can't do this or do that and then i found the blog and just like dove in super deep at that point like was I was hooked um and pretty much have been since yeah what were what were your ideas about coaching prior to that like what what were some of the things that you were focusing on or what were some of the favorite topics to be teaching prior to um for lack of better terms like like this eye-opening experience uh, of of what you've had over the last you know six to seven years it's a good question um to be honest, I was pretty lost in, in what I was doing. Um, 
I had just moved to Portland um, from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is where I grew up. And I, I coached college for four years there and coached at a youth club and ran an indoor facility. So I kind of did like the whole spectrum and uh, just, you know, felt like it just wasn't right. You know, all the things that were the people who I was supposed to be sort of like looking up to and learning from are saying, it's like, well, that's nice, but everyone still plays like shit. You know, why? Why is that? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I wound up moving to Portland um, uh, just to get a different, you know, sort of life experience. And um, what was I doing at trainings? I was kind of making my own curriculum in a way. Like, there wasn't, you know, I never was, like, big into, like, researching like the newest coolest drill necessarily um i looked at all that stuff but i think a big part of what i did i actually took activities that i did with a seventh and eighth grade basketball coach who was like the best coach i ever had had in my life and adopted them to soccer in a way um and yeah that, that was sort of what i was doing at the time with without a whole lot of success all that what what were some of the things in uh, in basketball? Well, let me see if I can reframe the question. Basketball is a lot of like um, yeah, it's a lot like pattern play. There's like plays in basketball, like set plays. I I remember yeah. seeing you know basketball players they run up the court and they hold up like play one or play two or play three. Yeah. It, yeah. Were, were those things that you were you were trying to translate into soccer and if so how and if not why not yeah so it wasn't exactly i didn't take like the sort of like running set plays from basketball the way what i took from this coach is we ran um defensively we ran a three-quarter court trap so what i wanted to play in soccer was i wanted pretty high pressure and I just wanted to, you know, it was basically what I was trying to teach was transition moments. Um, so the drills we would do focus, it'd be like, you know, three V two, one way two V one, the opposite way. And like just high intensity, tons of pressure, win the ball and move quickly. Um, and I think probably back then really the biggest thing I saw, especially at the youth level was just how like wimpy everybody is, you know? So a lot of what I did was just really focused on working your ass off and, and and fighting to win. And, you know, sort of that mental fortitude side is I think what I was more focused on because that, that's sort of like what I got from growing up in Northeastern Pennsylvania, um, playing whether, you know, mostly soccer, but other sports too, definitely not the most talented group of, athletes there but there's that sort of blue collar like fuck you we're gonna win this we don't care how much better you are type of mentality so which yeah. is which is absent in a, in a lot of uh american youth soccer i mean yeah in my experience it's almost totally absent my hands-on experience at least um so so yeah that was a challenge i eventually got to the point where i realized like <laughs> okay like i've taken them as far as they're gonna go in this realm but like you know you only have them for four or five hours a week and then their parents and their teachers and everybody else has them wrapped in a blanket and so you kind of hit a wall or a ceiling i guess 
And then uh, what what ultimately changed? What was there like a was there ever an aha moment? Was that was you know actually seeing that video? Was that the aha moment or or yeah. what 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 ultimately uh, lit a, a different fire in you? I mean, it was a video, and then into the blog. Um, you know, start like going back and forth on some comments on the blog. Um, at that point, you guys didn't have a like a video curriculum out though. Um, or really any training videos, I don't think. So um, it was all theory. Um, so I stumbled around for a while, and then eventually Brian came up to Portland with uh, Barca USA to do like one of those uh, little mini camps with the coaches of the the branch up here. Yeah, that's right. And that's um, right. yeah, so he came up. I had found out he was coming. Reached out to the club to say, "Hey, I know I don't coach for you. Can I come?" <laughs> they told me no. <laughs> and I was like, "All right, well, I'm going to show up anyway." So, uh, myself and my assistant coach watched the three days of him actually uh, teaching it from you know beyond the fence or whatever. And that was when I was like, "Okay, now I have sort of a a, a template in front of me to to go off of." And that's when you know, rondos became an every single day activity. And, um, yeah, you know, we had, we, we took notes, we were ready to go. We started implementing it. And, um, six months later, you start to really see the difference and it's pretty amazing. And, you know, we were happy that the players were loving it. The parents were happy. And yeah. So since then, that's all I've really done. Although, I basically have not gotten past phase two at this point with any team, which sucks, but it's also good practice, I guess. So, yeah, but a lot of that stuff is so is so fundamental that you'll never you'll you'll never eliminate that. Like the the right. teams, the teams will always need doses of that for their entire career, and you know the the progression beyond that obviously comes with you know when you have a team that reaches a certain level technically and tactically they yeah. need to be a certain age in order to 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 do some of this stuff as well so yep. that that's a that that's not i i mean yeah it's a bummer that you're not able to to kind of work on some <laughs> of that other stuff but it's also yeah. you know you're kind of that that's exactly how things should be so right it took me a while to realize that for sure you know i definitely tried to like hop skip and jump into higher level stuff for a few years and then a couple of years ago, I finally was like, yeah, just settle down and stick to, stick to the basics. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah. Happy with it now. When, when you were able to watch Brian and, and you said kind of from, from beyond the fence, which is so funny yeah. to me because that's been a huge part of my own, uh, coaching development is, is like sneaking into sessions and right. watching sessions that I shouldn't be been allowed to watch. And it's also, um, been a huge part of Brian's story as well. Like he's right. his to the extreme example of sneaking in to watch Bielsa train and national teams train and whatnot. So that's, that's so funny that, that you know, that's kind of yeah, how you got well, started too. I think it was like his story. I think I read something about him doing that before <laughs> I went to watch. And so that's what kind of made me feel like, well, they said no, but like, fuck it. You know, yeah. he's not going to care. Yeah. You know, kind of made me comfortable doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, besides just watching him, were, were you able to hear him? Yeah, yeah, we're close enough to like hear his instructions most of the time. 
So that, that to me is really important because what people don't know about Brian is the way that he delivers a message and the cadence that he delivers yeah. it at and the tone that he uses, the volume. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the way he manipulates it, right? It, it's all part of his mastery, and and people um, don't understand how important it is to hear and see this guy work. Like it's it's seriously right. like it, it's it's next level. And um, yeah, just, do you know where he he picked that up? Like where he picked up these little things? Like you know, little one of the things I notice he he'll do all the time is he'll if he has a group, he'll pull them in and he'll start talking like real soft, almost get them like leaning in, like listening to what he says and then he'll change it and get really intense. Right. When he has everybody's attention. Um, did he, you know, did he, did he pick these up from other coaches or other people? That's a great question. And I know that I've asked him that before. I can't remember his answer off the top of my head and I can't remember where it is, um, that we've, right. that we've released it. Um, but it is something that, that I, that I have talked to him about, um, yeah. in the past. And so now you're, you're prompting me to, to, I'm gonna have to go look for it because it's, yeah. it's, it is really important. And, um, what just came to my mind is that, um, so, so a lot of it is culture based, right? So he has been influenced a lot by the South American culture, obviously by, by Spain and, and things like that. So he learned a lot from, from people that are outside of the tra- traditional American soccer eye. And, yeah must have been last year or the year before a very prominent U S soccer media member, um, said that something about the word protagonist and said that, you know, American soccers don't understand the term protagonist, but they don't use the word protagonist, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's completely false because Brian has used the word protagonist in, in his training sessions and his philosophy and his way of talking about the game for years. And so has the entire, you know, Latin culture, but that's so outside of like the American soccer <laughs> realm yeah. that even the, the most prominent U S soccer media members don't hear it. They don't, they don't know about it. They don't know that, you know, this is this, you know, this word or this idea exists in, in these coaches. And, yeah. and, and so, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, with his culture and his influences and, and who he's chosen as, as, uh, mentors and who he's chosen to learn from. But yeah. I, I will have to, uh, follow up with him and ask him specifically because that's a absolutely yeah. great question and, and, and super important topic as well. Right. Yeah. I'd love to know. Love to know. Yeah. Um, well, shit, man. What what else? Uh, what else can we talk about? We we didn't really go into this with a plan, so I'm uh, no, we I'm didn't. curious. Maybe actually, we we didn't give you a proper introduction. So um, you've you've hinted at your you know you born and raised in in Pennsylvania, moved to Portland. I believe that's where you still are today. Um, but yeah. what's uh what's you know what's the day to day life like now? Are you coaching one team, five teams? Yeah. So the last three years I've been coaching one team. Um, I guess it was probably almost four years ago. Now I, I, uh, ducked out of like youth soccer club teams, at least all together. Um, it's just really boring for me. Um, there's no, you know, I just didn't really see an interesting path or didn't want to sort of kiss enough ass to, to get there. Um, and uh, so I, I left 
kind of just started doing my own thing, private training, you know, individual and small group with um, some of the better players who I had coached. And uh, eventually got approached by a group of young guys, like late teens, early 20s here in town. Um, it was an all-Somali soccer team. And uh, they said, hey, you know, there's this essentially Somali-American national championship tournament held every summer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. No team from Portland has ever gone, um, but we want to go this year. Would you be interested in coaching us? And, um, yeah, I said, yeah, let's do it. And I've been with these guys for three years now. And you know what's really funny now that you mentioned Minnesota? I've been trying to figure out who you sound like, and you sound a lot like Adam Bells, who's from uh, Minneapolis. Do you know who Adam is? <laughs> yeah, I've listened to the podcast. <laughs> your, your voice is, <laughs> and just <laughs> your tone is so much like Adam. So funny. You, have a, you would have a great podcasting voice if you ever decided to do it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so uh, t- tell me, tell me more about that though, because I, I I'm aware just from following American politics that Minnesota, um, Minneapolis specifically, has a big um, you know, Somali and, and refugee population. Um, but I, I wasn't aware that Portland wa- was uh, ha- had a large Somali community. So what what is that like, yeah. and then how has that influenced you know what you ultimately do with the kids? Right. Guys, so. Right? So Portland actually doesn't have a very big uh, Somali population. Um, I think there's maybe like close to 10,000 Somali Americans living in the state total, but it's pretty small in Portland. Uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota in general has, you know, the largest population in the country, I believe, for that, um, probably around 80,000. Um, I know Ohio is also big, uh, Seattle, um has uh, a pretty sizable population but um yeah portland's pretty small so so but basically there's this you know somali soccer network all over the country um these you know young guys and they they put their own tournaments on um every year uh the one in minneapolis is run in conjunction with like a somali independence week so it's a week-long tournament which winds up being nine or ten days actually um and you'll get the first year we went i think there was 24 teams uh last year there was a combined like 40 teams from all over the country um yeah it's it's wild it's big it's fun um so, yeah, the, you know, the guys, they approached me. I'd known a couple of them just from playing pickup or indoor or whatever um, and like the way they played. Um, and uh, I said, okay, if we're going to do this, I want to practice, you know, at least twice a week. We had about six months leading up to the first year's tournament, and um, we just kind of got, got to work. Um, and it's, it's been a blast. It's a lot more fun for me doing it this way than kind of through the typical um, coaching pathways in the U.S., I would say. And you said that they they came to you or they found you and they asked yeah. you to be part of, of their process. And so a question I had written down is, um, what is important to them? So meaning like why, why did they choose you to be part of this? It's a good question. It's probably one better for them. But um, – off the top of my head, I think two things. First um, is that I, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with one of the leaders on the team, 
um, had played with him a, a good bit. Always thought he'd make a great six, which for me is like the most important player on the field, um, you know, for the way I want to play. So I always, you know, wanted a chance to coach him. And um, we just had a, you know, a pretty mutual understanding about the game. The second thing is they wanted someone from outside their own culture. So they wanted, you know, not uh, someone from Somalia. Um, and I think in some ways maybe they they find it easier to, like, respect um, in a coach, someone from outside their culture, because um, a lot of times – coaches on the inside there can just be a lot of uh tension that way for whatever reason um there's a whole there's a whole like political landscape to to the somali american culture that i'm still kind of learning about but um so i don't want to you know paint it with too broad of a brush but that definitely played a big part in it also it's interesting because you you look at um a lot of foreign nations, African nations, um, smaller island countries, and, and a lot of like, just a lot of uh, small countries, they tend to hire outside of, of their, um, of their nationality. They, a lot of English guys and, and girls get coaching jobs in small countries. A lot of, uh, a lot of Americans actually, I don't think it's as well known as it, as it probably should be coach a lot of national teams. Um, right. you know, a lot of, um, like the Faroe islands or whatever. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like small countries. Um, uh, yeah. And so I've always been curious about why that is. And, um, it came up in the women's world cup with, uh, shit. What team was it? But they hired like one of the women's teams had an English male coach, I think. And it's like, well, why is this English guy coaching these uh, African women? I think is what it was. Okay, I could be mistaken. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's something to do with like uh, you know the the respect or or the trust. Uh, the, yeah, something. Yeah, something there's, like that. So I mean, at least in my current situation, I think there's a level of um, trust that. I don't know. And it's not that they trust me more, but they trust me to be impartial, I think. Yeah. Right. So, so not to have more of a distrust of, of the insider. Yeah. You know, like I said, I don't want to like paint the whole <laughs> culture cause you know, I, there's still so much for me to learn, but um, yeah, just from like what they have told me and what I've seen myself, um, there's a lot of, yeah, not, not, trusting things and um there's a lot of i don't know i don't want to say jealousy but like if, if someone starts doing a great job there's going to be someone that wants to sort of tear them down for whatever reason and so so sort of discord and discontent um in that in that team and and i've even seen it with some of the you know coaches there's a, a coach from seattle i'm good friends with too who the, the first year we went to the tournament in Minnesota, he uh, took his team to the finals, did an amazing job. And, you know, they got home and guys were, you know, saying, oh, he 
took money from this person or that person to lose a game. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's booted out. So, yeah. I I have a, a similar similar conversation, or I had a similar conversation recently about the Croatian national team, and one of my friends is visiting Croatia right now, and she was in um, she was in Split, and. I told her to buy me a national team Jersey because I can't buy one online. I was like, Hey, if you're, if you see one, buy it for me and, and bring it home for me. And she's like, they don't sell national team gear in split. And I was like, what do you mean? They don't sell national team gear in split. And she's, and then she told me everybody here hates the national team. And I was like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. So there's like a bunch of drama within the Croatian Federation and, and the former Croatian um, Federation president and former owner or operator of uh of Dinamo Zagreb uh, chose a lot of players from one specific team and didn't choose players from the other team. And there's all kinds of other drama and, and whatnot. Right. So it's like, it, it created like this big, like infighting within the own, within our own country. And so the, the, yeah. the, the, the team goes to the finals of the world cup and then there's still people like rooting, <laughs> rooting against it, not rooting against, but rooting against uh, the national right. team because of the, the federation politics and the distrust and, and things like yeah. that. So it's just funny, like what you're, what you're describing, I think happens all over the world. Um, yeah. And, and, and in many countries yeah. and, and in a lot of ways it happens inside us soccer as well, where people accuse me all the time of rooting against us soccer it's like no i'm not rooting against yeah. the, the team i'm rooting against the way that they do business and <laughs> and i don't yeah. i don't trust them i i i, I don't and uh, no no you shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> i will i will say this though you know the the somali american soccer culture is something i never really knew about until i started coaching this team but it's like it's a huge deal for them and we are missing out on some straight ballers. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see the players that maybe not like team level, but individual um, quality level, you know, these guys who just play whatever Sunday leagues and in these tournaments all over the country is super high. And, uh, but just no one has any idea it's really going on, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of like a like an underground network of of yeah, ethnic like ethnic teams and ethnic leagues that happen all over the country. And I I know yeah, uh, yeah again you know the Croatian community does the very same thing where we host um, tournaments on our Croatian Independence Day and we host them uh, all, uh, in conjunction with you know concerts and festivals and things like that. And so there's there's always yeah. like more to the week or to the weekend. Um, and when I interviewed Dr. Joe Machnik, he mentioned the importance of ethnic leagues and ethnic, ethnic clubs um, in back in like as, as, as late early, sorry, as early as the fifties and sixties and how this underground network of, of these leagues and teams just operated outside of the, the public eye. And a lot of those teams still exist. I interviewed John Mata, um, U.S. soccer board member, and, and he's mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, a very proud Portuguese man, and he talks a lot about how important having his Portuguese um, hometown club was. Uh, you know, wherever he was at, I think he was somewhere in like the Northeast, and and right. you know how they had the clubhouse and the field out back and and everything like that, and and that that club still exists today and they still they still operate um at whatever it's probably like men's league level but you know right. that, that's that's very very important so 
is very important and it's actually where i think all these folks and you know respect to everybody fighting the good fight and trying to to make efforts towards reform but in a lot of ways i think they're missing the plot completely trying to do it within sort of the the current structure the the well-known leagues it's like that's not really where the action's at in u.s soccer it's like you said in this sort of underground network um and no one's reaching out to them to bring them into the process to give them representation at all definitely not u.s soccer right we know they don't care but that to me is where i see the strength you know if it's this strong in the somali american community of like less than two hundred thousand people in the country you know and we all know how strong it is in the latino community but shit man you give give them an opportunity to build like a little a real club in minneapolis and yeah they could easily you know have a somali american first second third division club there no problem um because even at that tournament you know we get we had like five thousand people at our games the first year we were there um going crazy in the stands it was it was amazing yeah, well, you, well, you you nailed it when you said opportunity. So all these, all these, uh, all anybody needs is opportunity. And if they don't want to, if they right. don't want to take advantage of the opportunity, okay, no problem. But to to restrict the opportunities and not give anybody the opportunity to build uh, a club and, and climb as high as they want, um, that that is you know one of the most disheartening things about American soccer, in my opinion. It's like yeah, people yeah, want to, people want to see. Uh, promotion relegation in MLS. It's like no, because it's it's still closed. Like they they don't they can't wrap their brain around that that having having the closed door system is is the problem. It needs to it, it needs to be wide open doors, and yeah. and everybody needs the opportunity to get in, not just uh, not just a, a little arena where you let in twenty teams or forty teams, whatever it's going to be ultimately, and then they just fight each other. It's like no, right. everybody needs to be fighting. Everybody right. needs opportunity to fight. Actually, not everybody doesn't need to fight, but uh, everybody needs the opportunity to fight. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. You you mentioned too, and it, and it reminded me. Um, like all the, the you know the fans watching and, and then the the quality of the players that participate in the, in the small American tournaments and and I remember growing up watching my dad play in in the Croatian tournaments on uh, it's it coincides with a, a Memorial Day in, here in the United States so that's always the weekend that we have a Croatian tournament and um, you know back in the day I remember going to watch the games and in Southern California guys like Kobe Jones would would be playing in the tournament so you were able to yeah uh, to load up your roster with a number of just uh, Americans, and um, and so my dad's team they would load up with a, with a couple of Mexican guys and they like some ringers, and then right. uh, and then the other teams down in L.A. they had guys like Kobe Jones playing. I remember Ante Rajoff used to play. Uh, he's now coach. He played for the United States and he played in MLS. Um, now he's coaching with LAFC. So it's like the like those were the types of people that were playing in these tournaments, and and to think that. You know, nobody else had the quality to move on and 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 yeah. play professionally is insane to me. Uh, number one, but to think that they couldn't have built their own club and climbed 
if that was the opportunity is absolutely insane to me. And, and, and knowing that, you know, the Russian community has this, the German community has this, Somalis, Polish, English, everybody, right. you know, th- this, these all exist. These networks all exist in the United States, but they operate outside of the American soccer system. Right. Yeah. It's disgusting from U.S. soccer. It really is. And like I said, I think, you know, the people who are working now towards trying to build reform, I don't really see this topic coming up at all. And I think they're totally missing the plot. This is where the power to reform would come from, is trying to bring all these groups to the table. But... um yeah, unless you get involved in it, you know, on the ground, you just wouldn't really know what's happening, I guess. So, And it's so daunting to get to get involved. I think that's where a lot of people, myself included, get overwhelmed. It's like, all right, well, here, I'm going to I'm going to dip my toe in the water. And and then it's just like, oh, man, like that's there, there's just so much that needs to happen. Where do I start? What do I do next? Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ, it's such a mess. It's, it's like, where can I make the most impact? Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably doing it right now. (laughs) I think so, to be honest. I think you've been doing it, yeah. Yeah, I I think we've done a good job of of hitting important topics uh, enough times that um, people are at least talking about some of the right things. Maybe not. Right, you guys are changing the conversation. You're you're moving the Overton window, basically, you know, Um, farther and farther to the right side of things. And yeah. Yeah, it might be slow going, but and, and we've you know. we've actually talked about that too, where we understand that um, that it is a very very long term process, and if we see something happen within ten, fifteen, twenty years, then that's awesome. Um, you know, but it, but but we're pretty aware that it it may take longer than that. So right, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and then, and then you get other priorities like you know, like what's happening with Alex, right? It's like okay, so where 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 does this all kind of fall into, um, you know, the pecking order? So obviously, um, worrying about somebody like Alex and making sure that he has everything that he needs in order to succeed on, on his journey. You know, that's, that's priority number one. And so some other things get knocked down, get, get knocked down the list. And, um, that doesn't mean that they're more or less important, I guess, um, that everything's important, but, um, yeah, it's just what what's going to take the attention on a day to day basis is is always a tough decision to make. So, right. yeah, but we we do feel yeah. like it's important, and and we do I, I and I I do personally feel like we we have changed the conversation. We've changed the way that the media handles um, certain topics. Um, Ten years ago, I don't think you would see Grant Wall touching any of the topics that he touches today. <laughs> and, and which no, and which is super funny to me. He, I just realized he blocked me again, so I'm pretty bummed about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I, I honestly don't even think that you would see somebody like Steve Nash or Stu Holden investing um, in in lower division soccer elsewhere, unless the the climate was the way that it is now. Like they the, these guys, they they went and invested in, in soccer somewhere else. But I don't think ten years ago or fifteen years ago, I don't think th- some guys like that would would do what they did. So, it's a good question for them. I'd love to hear one of those two or both of them on the show. That'd be uh, pretty fun. Bucket list, man. Yeah. Bucket list. Yeah. 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 They probably don't want to touch that though. No. Too. No. No. Um. 
Brian, where, where can, uh, if people want to connect with you or if they actually, if they want to learn more about the team that you, that you're, that you're coaching or you've been coaching in that community of Somali Americans and that network that they've, that they've built here in the United States, where can they, uh, where can they learn more? So there's not, I mean, to learn more about that, there's not really like a, an online presence for it outside of, you know, sort of that network of players and their, their Facebook and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, if anyone's more curious about, you know, what we're doing or has any questions, um, I, you know, I am on Twitter. They could always hit me up there. I don't really interact much, but I'm happy to with anyone who, you know, has questions. That's BH Groove. Um, they could also follow uh, the team I coach called the Ocean Stars. Um, uh, we got an Instagram account, Ocean Stars FC. And, um, yeah, that's where they could reach out, find out more. It's, uh, it's pretty fun, man. There's a lot going on. We actually have a tournament up in Seattle going on this week. So I'm, uh, trying to get back and forth between Portland and Seattle for games up there right now. But, um, yeah, that's where it's at. That's exciting, man. And I would, uh, I would be an idiot to not mention, uh, or to not say thank you for, uh, the, magnificent t-shirts you've sent me over the year over the years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because i wear i wear the hell out of those things dude i wear those um, good. Uh, if not on a daily basis on an every other day basis so good good yeah, yeah. they're comfy right they they're amazing so yeah, yeah uh, for those listening brian uh he he did uh a quick run of some three, four, three shirts. And, um, those are, those are my favorite shirts. So <laughs> maybe one day we're going to, we're going to actually, um, get our shit together and, and, and sell the, sell those things. But right now yeah. we'll see priorities are, are elsewhere. <laughs> elsewhere. All right. Okay. Uh, all right. Anything we didn't cover? No, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, just, you know, Whoever's, whoever's out there involved in the other side of the game, you know, if there's other people out there listening who are involved in like the same sort of underground networks, but maybe different cultures, I'd love to talk to them and uh, see what, see what they have going on. Um, it'd be fun to try and connect the dots with people um, along these lines a little bit all over the place. So dude, yeah. you know, what would be freaking rad is to sad. get, yeah, like, you know, uh, a handful of leaders from, from the different, um, nationalities that run, right. that run these teams and do like a, like a mock version of a world cup, like get the top teams exactly. from all these, uh, ethnic groups and, and put it together in a, in a, like a big, a, yeah, big tournament. That would, that would be right. badass. It'd be badass. And, and that's what I'm saying. This, this is where the real power in U.S. soccer is, you know, forget the U.S. use to forget the DA, all that nonsense. You know, it's, it's not going anywhere. Not anytime soon. The real opportunity for development is it's in these places, you know, these leagues, these, uh, these tournaments. So yeah, if anybody's out there, let me know. Um, I'd love to try and, you know, connect those dots all over the place. All right, cool. The Adam bells of Portland. <laughs> Dude, don't go there. Don't even fucking start with me on that shit. Look, if the if those guys are listening, I love your production value, but ooh, there's some serious commentary. Oh. <laughs> Shots fired. Here we go. <laughs> Yo, I mean, it's got to be said. Like, like I said, 
I love the show. I actually listen all the time, but sometimes I, I cringe when I hear certain <laughs> takes on players. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Well, Brian, I appreciate right. your time, man. Uh, I'm glad we finally yeah. got a chance to talk. This, is, this has been cool. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. It's uh, an honor. All right, yeah. man. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. I actually need to follow up with Brian about that question, so I'll, I'll definitely be reaching out yeah, to you again soon. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I'd love to hear the answer. All right. All right, cool, man. All right. Later. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.